It's time to clip your last good piece and dig in because the runout starts now. Today's show is brought to you by Outdoor Research. Outdoor Research was born from the cold, snowy womb of the Alaska Range by climbers up against some of the harshest conditions in alpinism. Since those days on the edge in the 80s, OR has committed itself to creating apparel and gear not just for keeping conditions at bay, but for making sure you have fun and look good along the way. Beauty and function are two guiding principles at OR. The result? Gear you can count on during your deepest adventures and most satisfying journeys. Check it all out at OutdoorResearch.com or your favorite local shop. In 2016, President Obama declared Bears Ears as a new national monument, protecting 1.3 million acres of land in southeast Utah. Thanks to the work of many different groups in the outdoor industry, particularly the Access Fund and Patagonia, climbing was specifically designated as a legitimate activity in this monument, home to Indian Creek and many other vertical adventures. The climbing world hailed this declaration as a success. Of course, within a year, popular vote loser Donald Trump issued one of his many legally questionable executive orders to slash the size of Bears Ears National Monument by 85%. The decision to reduce Bears Ears is expected to set off a legal battle that could alter the course of American land conservation, putting dozens of other monuments at risk and possibly opening millions of preserved public acres to oil and gas extraction, mining, logging, and other commercial activities, wrote the New York Times. Indeed, since then, a lawsuit challenging the legitimacy of Trump's order has been issued through the Access Fund as well as a number of other groups, many in the outdoor world. The lawsuit is currently moving forward in a Washington, D.C. district court. And what's amazing is that it's just one of many, many projects that the Access Fund is working on, on behalf of us climbers. This is Andrew Bisharat, and you're listening to the Runout Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Chris Kalous, and today we invited Eric Murdoch, Policy Director at the Access Fund, to bring us up to speed on Bears Ears, as well as all of the other projects the Access Fund is juggling. The scope of their work is just incredible. What this organization does for us behind the scenes is worth supporting, I think, in all senses of that word. As I wrote last year in a rant on my website, Evening Sends, if you think that Bears Ears or our oceans or any of our national parks are forever protected, it's time to think again. These are all just proclamations on pieces of paper. They mean nothing. The real power is found in our collective vigilance. This is a responsibility we can't ignore. It's time to get motivated and carve off a little bit of that legendary climber stoke and dedicate ourselves to getting involved. So we are here with Eric Murdoch, the policy director at the Access Fund. And um, thanks for coming on the Runout podcast. And nice to meet you because I don't think we've met in person. You too. It's great to be here. So uh, 
we wanted to talk to you today because there's a lot going on in the political world, in the climbing world, and the Access Fund is our sports, you know, Venn diagram between those two worlds. So we, we really just wanted to know what's going on with the Access Fund's work currently. What what do we need to know as climbers? How can we get involved and what issues should we be paying attention to right now? So I think to, to, to start off, it's important to note that, you know, the Access Fund has a policy program and I'm the director of that. But we also kind of intertwine all of our programs. So we've got policy intertwined with stewardship where we're doing, you know, uh, trail building and, and, and stewardship events all over the country. And then we also have an acquisition program where we buy climbing areas or figure out how to gain access to private climbing areas. All those programs work kind of together, depending on what sorts of issues we're dealing with. Right now, there's a lot of things going on at the national level, but we're always chugging along at the local level. There's always these issues at small climbing areas and local climbing areas around the country. But at the at the national level, of course, we've got you know Bears Years where we're in a lawsuit. We actually filed our lawsuit almost a year ago to the day. We filed it on December 6, uh, 2017, and we're chugging along on that project. And there's a there's a lot of uh, complexity and a, and a long story, a long lead up lead up story to uh, Bears Ears. So why don't you give us the the scope of what is actually going on with Bears Ears? The lawsuit is sort of, in a, in a way, the end of the story. You know, the story on Bears Ears starts several years ago, many years ago. But the lawsuit right now is really focused on whether President Trump has the authority to reduce a national monument. So the way a monument is created is through the Antiquities Act, which is this pretty interesting law passed in 1906, um, by by Teddy Roosevelt, that law, we believe, provides a president with the authority to create a monument in times when, when, when there's congressional gridlock and you need to make some conservation efforts. But it does not work the other way. It does not provide the president the authority to change or reduce a monument or rescind a monument. And that is the basis for um, for this lawsuit. And so where is that lawsuit? Yeah, that's a good question. So we filed the lawsuit in Washington, D.C., at a district court in Washington, D.C. And the and by the way, we, we we're a co-plaintiff on, a, on, on the lawsuit. So there are actually three lawsuits, but we are co-plaintiffs with a variety of other organizations, including Patagonia and Utah, Dina Bakea, Friends of Cedar Mesa, Archaeology Southwest, Conservation Lands Foundation. Um, and National Trust for Historic Preservation, Society for uh, Vertebrate Paleontology. That's the group. So together, we filed this lawsuit in Washington, D.C. The first thing that the Department of Justice um, did, you know, the, 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 the defense, is they filed a motion to move the lawsuit. And that was the first win. So about a month ago, the judge, the district judge in Washington, D.C., ruled that the case is going to stay in Washington, D.C. That's, that's our first win. And that was a pretty interesting thing for us because the judge actually cited access funds advocacy efforts in Washington, D.C. as one of the reasons, as one of her um, rationale for keeping the case in Washington, D.C. because it displayed that this has national precedence. This doesn't need to be, it's not, a, not necessarily just a Utah issue. This affects the entire country. Why is it considered a win to have that lawsuit uh, stay in Washington as opposed to move to Utah, I would assume, is where it would go? 
Right. So the reason why we want it in D.C. is because we believe that the district court might be more favorable to us in Washington, D.C. In Utah, the district court would probably be more favorable to uh, Utah legislators, Utah politicians. And as it turns out, and things are changing now, of course, in the last election, but the Utah politicians, the the Utah delegation were predominantly against the monument and in favor of the reduction, including the governor of Utah. So that's why we want it's it's favorable to us to keep the case in Washington, D.C. As, as this has been going forward, uh, and I've known that this lawsuit's been in the courts, like you said, for almost exactly a year, yep. you know, we keep hearing about these things, you know, this reduction, and I don't even know what all is true in terms of I saw something about people being able to walk in and lay claim to to mining rights at will and and you know for pennies on the dollar and all these sorts of things that appear to be moving forward it seems like maybe are they trying to do that or what's going on in the meantime i guess is the question well, i think there are a couple questions in the, in nested in that question you just asked the first one is what happens to that 1.1 million acres that is excised from the original a monument that President Obama designated. What 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 is the, what is that land? And the thing is, some of that land was wilderness study area. Some of that land was designated wilderness, and some of that land was just BLM land, standard BLM land that we've all been on. It doesn't have any special designation on the state on the regular BLM land in America, um, because there's a law, the mining law of 1872. You can go out onto BLM land and stake a claim. You can you can you can claim a a, a plot of land and and start um, exploring that land for uh, for minerals. Um, so there's a couple things going on. You can go out there and stake a claim right now. You could stake it before the, the the monument was designated. And there are also oil and gas leases that could be auctioned off. Right now, there are no leases within the original monument boundary that are up for auction you know, this next period and they auction them off every six months or so, but, but there very well might be. So yeah, you can go out in, in some of the excise portion of, of bears ears and stake a claim. And, um, yeah, you, you could, you could, we could go out there tomorrow. You just got to put two, four stakes in the ground and pay the BLM about 180 bucks and you got yourself a claim. Has the access fund considered doing that? No, as, as a fundraising, just drive. as a fundraising thing, or just like you know, to, to to get a little piece of the piece of the money, just in case. Well, and a lot of people have asked us that. Why don't you guys go out there and stake a bunch of claims so other people can't <laughs> conjure up? And there's a couple reasons why we don't do that. The first thing is there's so much land out there; it would cost a ton of money. The second, the second reason is it's illegal. When you stake a claim, you you are actually signing up to explore that area and to, and to mine it. And if you don't do that, it's, it's actually not, not legal. But the other thing is that there's, there's not a lot of competition right now. In other words, people aren't racing out there to stake claims today because, for example, uranium isn't worth enough. When uranium reaches a certain point, that's when it becomes valuable. That's when people start mining, looking for it. And right now, it's 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 not worth that much. It's under 20 bucks. For example, in 2007, when there was a uranium boom, it was at about $150 a pound. So that's when you'd want to go out there. So right now, there's not a, there's not a big risk. But you got to remember, we're, conser- we're trying to conserve these areas in perpetuity. So... Um, at some point, you know, when the, when the when the commodity prices go up, there will be a lot more value in going out and staking claims. A couple questions. One is um, 
just when can we expect to see any movement in this district court in DC? And then the other is the reduction of the the land, the the 1.1 million acres lost. Does that include any climbing areas or is that not outside of uh, our periphery? So the, the answer to the first question um, about you know basically what's going on right now is now that we've now that we have a venue this case is going down in Washington D.C. we we have the first motion and and the defense filed the first motion of course to dismiss the case and a variety of organizations filed um, amicus briefs in other words information to get to the judge to say you know to support our side or the or the other side and we filed um, our argument for why this case should not be dismissed. And right now we are waiting to hear the judge's decision on that motion to, to dismiss. And we are pretty optimistic that the judge is, is, is not going to um, agree with that motion. And then we will get started on the case. So that's where we are right now. The second question, did we lose any climbing areas? I mean, and that's a good, and that's a question of, you know, what is losing a climbing area? But, but basically, um, a handful of climbing areas are located in the lands that were that 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 lost monument designation. A couple of those crags, and I wish I had the list in front of me, but a couple of those crags are in sort of the northwest portion of Indian Creek. We lost all of Hart's Draw. We lost Gar- uh, Valley of the Gods, and we lost a number of other climbing areas. So there, there are quite a few climbing areas that now do not enjoy the protection of the national monument. And and maybe this can segue into the next topic that I think we should get into, which is the the fixed anchor work that you're doing um, in DC. But the uh, just to be clear for climbers, I, I think a lot of people probably don't know this, but it and, and actually I'm not even sure if I'm a hundred percent certain on this, but in a monument designation, you would not be able to place fixed anchors with like a power drill, but you could hand drill, or is there a permit process there? Whereas um, on BLM land, it's sort of whatever, use whatever tools you have to, to establish roots as you'd like. So, so what does a monument do in the first place? Well, a monument is, is designated to protect objects of cultural importance, of scientific, of scientific interest, of traditional value. So that's what a monument is designated for. There's nothing in a, that inherent in a, in a national monument designation that says you can't use a power drill, you can't go rock climbing, you can't place bolts. It's just that the primary purpose for a monument is to protect those things I just mentioned. So... When we were working, um, you know, three or four years ago to try to figure out what our position, what the Access Fund's position was going to be on this potential monument designation, when there was a lot of um, churn in, in Utah and around the country about, well, should this thing be designated or not? We had a lot of apprehension because we were afraid we were afraid of exactly the question you asked. So in order to hedge our bets, in order to provide the leverage that we needed, the certainty that we needed to make sure that climbing and fixed anchors and other climbing activities were legal in this national monument. In other words, were we willing to endorse a national monument designation over Indian Creek and then, you know, not not have fixed anchors, bolts allowed? We, we weren't we weren't going to accept that. So we sort of started. We, we we thought of an audacious plan to 
to try to get climbing listed in the presidential proclamation. So when we're doing the management plan, so during the management planning process, we had a toehold, a foothold in the actual presidential proclamation. So we could say, yeah, you got to You got to allow climbing. The president said that. So that initiated this long process where we had to figure out how do you convince the president of the United States to put climbing in a national monument designation? And that had never been done before. So that was that's that was the that was the goal. And after uh, more than a year of effort and talking with you know the president's um, staff and and the BLM and Forest Service and a variety of other people, um, as well as the tribes, um, and we got a letter um, uh, on, on from the tribes on behalf of the climbing community, which is a, which is another story altogether. We successfully got climbing listed in the presidential proclamation, and uh, and that is why. Um, we feel like we have a uh, legitimate, you know, toehold on climbing practices in 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 Bears Ears National Monument. And then Trump just took a shit on all of that. Like three months later, was that disheartening? That was disheartening. Um, but, 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 but we also it wasn't unexpected. And the really interesting thing about about that, those three months and, and actually when, when we saw the I remember when I first saw the presidential designation, actually, I was uh, I was hiking in, in outside of Tucson, Arizona. My wife called me and I said, what does it say? You know, is climbing listed in it. And the president listed climbing first in all of the activities that are sort of allowed in Bears Ears National Monument. It wasn't in alphabetical order. It was because we spent I mean, we pestered the president's staff for years and they um, put climbing first. And now after, after when, when, when President Trump reduced the monument, I interpreted that as sort of a call to action. The president was calling out to that list of, of groups and especially the climbers that to, to say, you guys now have to protect this land. And we, and we take that really seriously. So the, the listing of, of climbing in the presidential proclamation is sort of our call to action. And, and has really been um, a, a major impetus for, for, for the legal action that we're taking right now. So, so as this uh, legal action uh, winds down or, or, you know, gets to the point where there's some movement on it, um, what's the sort of best case, worst case situation with what happens with this particular part of the lawsuit? Well, the best case is that we win the lawsuit and they tear up the President Trump proclamation, and they reinstate the boundaries to the original, you know, 1.35 million acre boundary, and 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 that does a couple things. One, it reinstates the monument, but almost more importantly, it sets the precedent that a president cannot unilaterally reduce a national monument. Because remember, we've got climbing areas all over the country on monuments and places that used to be monuments. Joshua Tree used to be a monument. Grand Tetons used to be a monument. Black Canyon of the Gunnison used to be a monument. If those places had been rescinded, our climbing experiences would be a lot different. So we have a lot vested in the Antiquities Act, in the Integrity of the Antiquities Act. So it's not just that we're fighting for bears ears, it's that we're fighting for climbing areas all over the country. If uranium isn't uh, valuable at the moment, what are the special interests that are looking at this land or maybe we're behind the reduction in the first place? I mean, if it's all if no one's interested in, in actually mining these lands, then where where did it just stem from this place of dismantling something that Obama had done? Or was there are there big money interests that are, are looking at these territories and, and wanting to drill oil or drill for oil yeah. or, or, you know, mine? 
There, there are a lot of different forces that were interested in keeping the monument from happening or reducing the monument. One of them is is mining and oil and gas industry. You know, so what if uranium is not worth that much today? It's going to come back, and there is uranium potential there. That's the first thing. The second thing is there are there is a strong um, delegation in Utah that believes that the federal government. Um, does not have the should not have the authority to designate vast um, areas within Utah. They believe that the states should own and manage their own lands. Those people do not want a national monument designated. And actually, they're actually not only fighting against uh, Bears National Monument, they are fighting for an Antiquities Act waiver in Utah. In other words, a waiver so that you could never make another monument in Utah. So then there's, you know, there's these states' rights people. And then there are other people who live locally in, in the area. And, and I can really put myself in their shoes. And they just don't want the monument designated because it will attract more people, you know, tourists, and, and, and perhaps um, create more, uh, uh, more, more traffic, more, 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 um, more congestion, more issues for the locals. So there's a lot of different reasons why people might not want it. There's also a small sector of the Native American community that doesn't want, that didn't want the monument because they thought that the monument would um, not allow them to um, do certain traditional um, ceremonies and, and, and collect wood and collect herbs. And that wasn't the case. But, but for all of those different reasons, pe- different types of people um, oppose the monument. So while you're talking, I was thinking about one of the sort of protests against it from the locals has to do with hunting and fishing. Um, what would be the impact on on those particular activities? Do you know of? Well, that's an interesting thing because that was one of the false narratives that that a lot of the the, the folks who were opposing the monuments were trying to relay that to to the American public is that hey, if this monument is designated, you're not going to be able to go in there. You're not going to be able to set foot in there. You're not going to be able to do hunting and fishing. You're not going to be able to go climbing. You're not going to be able to do collect wood and and do your ceremonies. And none of those things were true. In fact, the the the, the original Obama proclamation is it's an it's an incredible document it's really flowery and it lists all of these different um values of the area and it clearly states that all of those things that i just mentioned are allowed and um yeah so so really the monument designation had no effect on on most of those activities the 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 activity that it really had an effect on is is that it provided um a a mineral withdrawal you couldn't you couldn't mine or 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 uh or drill for oil and gas Right, and so then the the jobs thing probably comes up, or the the economic value of that to the local community um, probably comes up as well. And and again, then both sides start throwing around, you know, futuristic numbers that I don't know if they they're completely baseless or completely factual either. But um, that that's kind of the other main protest right. that I heard. Yeah, that's right. And 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 you can argue that tourism is better for. For a community in, in southern Utah, or you could argue that development is better. Um, there's a lot of economic models that show that after a monument is designated, the the local community sees enjoys a, a lot of benefits in in, in um, wages and and um, other opportunities, economic opportunities, and that's modeled pretty conclusively by by an outfit called um, Headwater Economics. So um, yeah, that, I think that's... I, I would imagine the black lung rate goes down as well if if people are. <laughs> hosting airbnbs instead of working in mines 
Uh, yeah, I guess it depends on what you're doing in the Airbnbs, but probably so. <laughs> How many Coloradoans are in those Airbnbs? But um, the the other, well, back to my question about the worst case, uh, best case. So, you know, I, I, it would be awesome if, if, you know, this particular judge said, no, he was wrong. We tear this thing up. And then both sides shake hands and say, good job. You know, you, you beat us or we won. Um, but that's probably not going to happen. What other, you know, sort of legal. What are the yeah. What other legal, well, legal tools should... are in the arsenal to, to go either direction? And would you imagine this will be either way appealed to a higher court? Those are good questions. Yeah. So, you know, first of all, I'm, I'm not an attorney. You know, I, I'm not actually the first person to have this position. The policy director is not an attorney, but we we're represented by by a really incredible um, law firm called Hogan Lovells. But the the, the 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 other options are that we run the clock out. What if this case takes more than two two years and we elect a president in office that decides I'm not I'm I'm going to tear up this this President Trump proclamation? That's another way we can get out of this and and, and keep the monument. No, um, what if it takes six years? Uh, don't say it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> don't know. Don't know. Exactly. Well, we might. So there, there's a lot of different things that can happen. Um, and uh, we're just we're just going to play it out and kind of listen to our attorneys. And we actually have a we have a we have a pretty strong case. I want to talk about the fixed anchor um, work that you're doing right now. Why don't you fill us in on on that? Because that sounds like a more timely issue in the next few weeks. Yeah. So so as 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 you guys know, you know bolts and fixed anchors in wilderness and just on lands in general has been a really sticky issue for for three decades or so um access fund has been working on uh fixed anchors and wilderness issues for 27 years and and the way we've typically done this is by trying to work with partner organizations and land managers to develop policies you know park service policy on wilderness fixed anchors or Bureau of Land Management Policy on Fixed Acres, Forest Service Policy. And we, we, we've had some luck with that, but, but you know, after 20 years, the Forest Service still doesn't have a policy. And we decided about a year ago that we are going to try to legislate fixed anchors. Instead of working with the agencies, which we're going to continue to do, of course, we are going to try to take matters into our own hands and, 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 and speed things up and try to create some laws, some federal laws that Congress passes um, that guide how fixed anchors are considered in wilderness and perhaps elsewhere. And the first opportunity came up, uh, oddly, in, in Utah um, with the uh, a bill called the um, Emory County Public Land Management Act. And that is a bill that will that could designate a large portion of Emory County as wilderness and also as recreation area. And as it turns out, the San Rafael Swell, the climbing area, it's got about, you know, over 500 climbing areas, a lot of them have bolts on it, would be within the proposed wilderness area. And we thought this is a perfect opportunity. What we had to do was try to convince the um, the senator and the congressman who introduced this bill to include a provision in that bill that says fixed anchors are okay in, in designated wilderness. In other words, can we create a federal law that grandfathers in existing fixed anchors um, so that once an area is designated as wilderness, the fixed anchors are considered appropriate and legitimate? And we spent the last year 
working with Congressman Curtis's office, Congressman Curtis from Utah, as well as Senator Hatch of all people. And we actually developed a great relationship with both the offices. And after a lot of different obstacles and twists and turns in the, in, in the political landscape, we wrote a provision that was, um, that was added to the bill Late in, the, late in the game, after the, 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 the committee markups, and that bill essentially says that nothing in this, in, this, in this law that's going to be created would prohibit the use, the maintenance, and the replacement of fixed anchors into the future. So in other words, we would set the precedent that if you create wilderness over the San Rafael swell, those fixed anchors are legitimate. So that's kind of, that's what we're working on right now. And right now, I mean, today the, the government was closed, um, obviously for, for the George W. Bush ceremony, but, but uh, um, I'm sorry for the George H. Bush ceremony, but, um, but, but we will find out in the next couple of weeks, whether that bill um, is, is voted into law. And, uh, and if so, we just passed the first fixed anchor legislation in the history of the United States. That would just include the San Rafael swell that wouldn't be grandfathered into any climbing area that's in a wilderness designation, or or could that potentially be a a, a basis to pursue that kind of um, legislation into all wilderness areas? Yeah. So so right the the way the way the you know federal laws work is that y- you really want to set a precedent. So that is true. This law would only only really affect San Rafael swell, but it would set a precedent. And then we could take that same language and apply it to new wilderness area proposals, like in California, in Washington state, new wilderness designations, we would be able to, it would be much easier to slip that provision in and provide uh, grandfathered protection for fixed anchors. And it would provide legitimacy for, for other advocacy work that we're doing in regular BLM land and say, look, here's a law that says that fixed anchors are appropriate in wilderness. And once again, just like the Bears Ears Proclamation, we're looking for legal footing to base our arguments. So the more um, uh, laws and proclamations that fixed anchors are protected in, the better it is for us. I'm really fired up about access issues right now. Just hearing the passion with, that you're you're talking about. I can tell by the tone of your voice <laughs> that you're fired up. This uh, is what it sounds like when Andrew Bishret's <laughs> fired up. Derek, Derek Franz from Alpinist uh, interviewed me a lot during the Bears Ears uh, period, and he would uh, he would talk about how I, my voice would get super loud, and and I'd start yelling into the phone. I didn't even know I was doing that, so I, I'm going to try to stay calm. Um, no, the I guess what I'm saying is, you know. Outside of um, writing my annual check to the Access Fund, how do how do people get involved with some of these issues? How how can we just as lay people who are psyched about protecting climbing areas and expanding our rights to to access these areas? How how do we make a difference? I think one one of the things that, that I mentioned er, you know earlier in this in this conversation is about stewardship, and I think one of the things that people forget is you know you can do advocacy work, and I mean that's that's my business, but Doing stewardship work is equally important. Getting out into your areas and showing land managers that climbers care about the environment, climbers care about keeping their climbing resources tidy is, is really important. And that's a, that's a great thing that you can do. 
Another thing you can do is just figure out who your representatives are. Who's your representative and call them up on key issues and tell them how you want them to vote. For, so, for example, on this Emory County Public Land Management Act, there might be a vote next week. I don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. Maybe the bill will be stuck into a package. Maybe not. We'll see what happens. There's a lot of different scenarios. But if people can call up their their and actually call up their representative, and we have our we have the phone numbers of all the representatives on our website. You can just type in your your zip code and it'll it'll give you your representative's phone number and you call them up and you say hey i know that this bill this emory county land management act is is coming down the pipe and i really want to express um, my support for it and i hope you vote for it that goes a long way your your representative works for you and they listen to what you're going to say so that's those are two things that i think are really valuable go out to your climbing area help steward them number one and and be outspoken talk to your representatives and um yeah, those are those are two really um, simple things that carry a lot of weight. Well, cool. I think we've uh, covered some good ground here, and um, but I would love it if maybe just once in a while um, we check back in with you as time goes by, um, maybe every couple months or every few months, just to see what's going on, see if you can update us on on legal stuff going on, but also, you know, just anything else that's on the horizon um, that you need action on, we could maybe be a conduit. Uh, for the access fund to get their word out there. Yeah, I appreciate that. I'd, I'd love to do it. And, you know, with the new Congress coming in in January, there's going to be a lot of new initiatives. Not sure where that's going to lead us, but there'll be a lot more issues. Um, and I'd be happy to, to share them with you. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. If you have a comment, topic suggestion, or just a good bit of climbing trivia, join us at our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash runoutpodcast, or drop us a line at our webpage, runoutpodcast.com.